Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes Now, episode 21, with me, Banks. And me, Eason. And this week we got together with writer, editor, stand-up comic and chair of the British Science Fiction Association, Donna Scott. Yeah, it was a really fantastic chat that coincided with our run of episodes on NaNoWriMo. And in addition, we had a bit of a discussion about some of the stuff she's been doing recently involved in saving local libraries. Hmm. So, I hope you enjoy. Today we're joined by special guest Donna Scott. Hello Donna. Hello. Hello, thank you for joining us today. It's part of our month of episodes where we're talking a lot about writing, editing, publishing, all kinds of different things in support of NaNoWriMo, which is going on. And we're really happy that you're taking some time out to join us and tell us about all the stuff you're doing. Okay, I'm really happy to be with you guys as well. (laughs) So... You know, you've been involved in many different things and also outside of writing, which we'll hopefully come on to later. You've got a bit of a career as a stand-up comic and performer as well. And more broadly in science fiction, you have a role as chair of the BSFA, which we'll also talk about. So I don't know where, where a good place is to start with our, our meandering conversation. How about the BSFA? Because that kind of puts things in a really interesting context. So that's the British Science Fiction Association. So... How did you get involved in in that? Oh, uh, we can blame Ian Waits, author <laughs> and publisher extraordinaire, who I believe I think he's spoken on, on your, your shows before, hasn't he? Um, well, he basically invited me to join the BSFA as a member, and not long after that, he said, "Oh, by the way, um, we need somebody to um, take over from Claire Broyley as awards administrator." Um, would you like to do it? <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, okay." Jumped in there and. Um, and then he said, oh, I'm stepping down as chair. Um, would you like to do it? <laughs> so that's what I've been doing for the past uh, four or so years. <laughs> five, five years. <laughs> yes. So what is the sort of overall role of, of the BSFA in sort of the UK science fiction scene? Oh, it is a, a, a very established fan organisation which dates back to 1958. So we're actually coming up to our 60th anniversary. We've got quite a lot planned in store for, for next year. Um, and it's yeah, basically a fan organisation. So it's for um, fans of science fiction in all its forms. We tend to have more of a, a literary bent to it. So a lot, a lot of readers, a lot of writers, a lot of publishers. Um, but it's it's for everybody. It, it, we aim to be as inclusive um, to, to fans of the genre as we possibly can be. And in terms of what kind of things the BSFA does, so I know that there are events, sort of monthly meetups and interviews with uh, science fiction authors it has sort of administrative function as well in um, events such as EasterCon what would be its equivalent for people who are listening who are from other parts of the world as well so like in the US what's the equivalent of uh, you know of the of the BSFA I suppose to an extent probably science fiction writers of America because but that is more for professional yeah. writers um uh, we, we're sort of very welcoming to amateurs as well as professionals. Um, you mentioned EasterCon. Well, the, the BSFA used to organise EasterCon, but we don't really have any function anymore as part of the organisation of EasterCon. Um, what we do is we are very committed and loyal to the EasterCon um, convention, and we always hold our awards um, for the BSFA every year at the EasterCon. Um, we always 
we have the past few years as well supplied a lecturer um, to talk on an interesting subject uh, at EasterCon as well. And we're always there with a desk. I'm always sitting <laughs> at that desk with, uh, with my interesting tombola <laughs> and talking to people about the organisation and, and how they can join and um, what we do. So... And, you know, mentioned some of the things that we do. So we, we do organise events in London, uh, which are free to attend every month. And our, our guest this month is the Philip K. Dick-nominated um, author, uh, Anne Charnock. Um, and um, she's going to be interviewed by Glyn Morgan, who um, was our, our editor of our critical journal, Vector, um, until um, last year. And um, he's he's um, kind of the name behind Twisted Tales, another event in London. But we're not just about London. We're also a na we are a national organisation. So we we get involved with other local science fiction groups uh, around the country to host events and help help host events. So we've we've um, uh, helped like the Sheffield Science Fiction. Um, um, fantasy group um can't remember the name then but uh, um so sheffield there's also a group in york and, and leeds and we, we're trying to stretch out a little bit more as well <laughs> like I've, I've run events in northampton too <laughs> so the bsfa awards that happen every year at eastercon um when you first got involved in the bsfa what what was involved in actually putting on the the awards and um, handing them out and and uh, administering it? Um, well, quite a lot of admin. <laughs> um, so it, it basically is an, it's an awful lot of checking. You need to make sure that the things that the we have to like push for nominations, make sure that people are actually actively nominating um, um, their preferences for best novel, best short fiction, best non-fiction and best artwork. Um, and they have to be BSFA members to nominate so that that's a, a like a, a special like privilege of being a member and um so so we we aim for the, the previous year's work so publications from from 2017 will be for next year um 2018 and um so once we've got those nominations we sort of like collate them and then then we have a short list which can be um, voted on by members of the BSFA and members of EasterCon. And we, we tend to have um, my little desk at EasterCon as well with a with a bad box on it. And most people, it has to be said, um, like the sort of like excitement of last minute posting of ballots, <laughs> even if they are members. <laughs> um, so that um, to give us give us like a real sense of adventure and excitement as we count them, um, like in the sh few short hours between uh, votes closing and the ceremony. So we, uh, apart from that, we, we know there's a shortlist and who is like, like and people on the shortlist can win, but it, we never know until shortly before who that winner is. So it, it, it is all nail-biting stuff. <laughs> so being chair of the BSFA, I mean, that really is an organisation which is a hub for UK science fiction. How did your own interest in science fiction start out um i think i was using the library as a little as a little girl um so like i used i remember like seeing um the rent or actually rent a ghost got me into it i think <laughs> um 
because there was a writer called Bob Bob Block, and I think I got confused and saw some of the Doctor Who books and thought, I like that writer, and because the, the Doctor Who books were all together in Sedgley Library, and I know so like reached across and grabbed one of one of the the books that was there offer, um, and um, after that I, I I was like very much into Douglas Adams. I, I've I've liked that since I was way too young for it. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, those kinds of authors really. <laughs> Well, at what point did you transition from being an avid reader of science fiction to being somebody who branched out into writing your own science fiction too? Oh gosh, I'm not really sure because I've been trying. I've been trying for a long, long time. Um, Nano Rymo, as I just logged in today, a little bit late, told me, "Oh, welcome to your eighth year of Nano Rymo," <laughs> and I was like, "I've never managed it. <laughs> I have never managed it." Um, but because do you know why? It's because I'm always too busy working on other people's stuff. <laughs> um, so everything I've written has had to be really, really yeah. short. So hence I've got like a lot of short stories out there because I have started novels, but it's like that, having that impetus to, to carry on when the, you have to take huge long breaks to work on other people's work, um, novels. That you know, because I'm not very good at sort of like um, staying with one of my own projects after after I've neglected it for a while as my knitting downstairs with a test <laughs> as well I've been working on the same jumper for three years <laughs> so even short fiction though there's a there is quite a prominent function for short fiction in the SF genre uh, there are loads of well not loads of but there are a reasonable number of uh, very well regarded magazines there are lots of anthologies etc why do you think science fiction lends itself so well to uh, the short fiction format oh i think it's because you can convey like brilliant ideas in 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 a in a in a, in a format that lets you sort of like into that world and out of that world without necessarily sort of like spending far too long in it and i think that's probably quite necessary for a lot of science science fiction because unless you have um you know, extremely good world building skills, you know, to carry that over a whole novel, it's very, very difficult. Uh, we, we, the, there were masses of genre who manage it, Alistair Reynolds and, you know, and, and um, Peter Hamilton. But um, it's, the short fiction is, is, is really good. Plus, I, it's great for people who haven't got a lot of patience like me. <laughs> so how did you get into professional editing? Um, well, um, I got asked... A favour, I suppose. I was just basically sitting in um, Storm Storm Constantine's office, and we were just chatting about. Um, she was starting up Emanion Press, and then she just basically gave me a sidelong look and said, "You have an English degree, haven't you?" And I went, <laughs> "Yes." I said, "Do you do you fancy having a go?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I do." <laughs> so I I basically started working. Um, with the Manion Press, but I really got into it, and I started then working with um, uh, Angry Robot and Games Workshop. And while I was doing that, I um, I, I thought, you know, what I could do with um, sort of like really cementing my sort of like qualification of, of, with English. So I so I did my MA at the same time, um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that, you know, that that seems to stood me in good stead. I would say do an MA. It really helps. One of the one of the modules I did in my MA was edit editing, um, editing popular romantic um, poetry collection, and I got a lot of criticism <laughs> about it. So 
did did really do me really good. <laughs> I hate criticism, <laughs> but yeah, I needed it. <laughs> so, what kind of things have you been involved in editing? I mean, it, like I know you've done some work with the best of British science fiction. You've done, um, you know, lots of anthologies, like you were saying, and you've also done um, some work on Jerusalem by Alan Moore. Oh yeah, seven hundred thousand words. <laughs> I thought I'm, I'm claiming because he told everyone it was a million. I was like, yeah, that's seven, that three hundred thousand down to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that was that was quite an undertaking, especially the Joycean chapters. Um, but I, I love Alan, and uh, I'm, I'm part of I'm part of um, the arts lab that he set up. So I've we've done quite a lot of stuff together now. It's um, with him and uh, other members of the arts lab, and um, another member of the arts lab, Tom Jordan, was um, one of my um, beta readers for the um, best of British science fiction um, anthology from last year as well. So it, it's it's been good. It's good branching out and meeting new people via Alan Moore. <laughs> awesome. Do you have a preference for what what your favourite kind of work to edit is? Is it novels, anthologies? Um, work by lots of different people what what do you like doing or just everything okay anthologies are my new favorite <laughs> um definitely because of all the short short stories um um and my attention span it's great it's, yeah but um, uh, <laughs> um i have worked on on so many things um i do i, I like everything um so i can't really pick a favorite <laughs> so anthologies are my new favorite and what happens when you are re i mean so for things like the best of british science fiction you must receive a huge number of submissions where people are sending in you know loads of different things that have been published in the previous year you know how do you pass the sheer volume and dare i say it quality of all the different submissions that you're that you're seeing to to actually produce the final volume at the end okay well i do have a system um so one of my tips is like start reading as soon as possible i mean like i've not got that many stories in right now for the for the next volume um i could uh, so that's a call to people out there <laughs> if you have had a, a science fiction story published in 2017 send it to me <laughs> and i may consider it for for this anthology um but yeah so get reading i mean i, I don't just read things that people send me either i read outside because there are so many magazines out there um there's, there's lots online um so um and i, I pick up um anthologies at conventions as well i mean I, I was picking up things like 30 years of rain by the glasgow sf writers group last year and the, i think there was a couple of stories from that that ended up in best of british because they were they were good um yeah so um just i have to read a lot read widely and um then i have a system of of um marking out preferences um sometimes it has it has come down to um word count or similarity and you know i've i've had two stories to consider that i would really have loved to have included but it would just be too much or i've had to thought oh, which one of these kind of quirky funny stories do i prefer because i've got one quirky funny story i could do perhaps do i need to do another one that's quirky funny um so I, but I, I made sure that i with um, some of the authors who've had near misses with me that I've let them know that you know the story was really really good I really loved it I just couldn't include it and what's your view on the well your roles as potentially a curator of short stories for an anthology um, versus the role of an actual editor of stories 
well, the editors have already done the work. <laughs> <laughs> so I really don't have to. All I've got to do is, yeah, all I've got to do is curate. <laughs> um, I maybe catch some of the spellings that they yeah. didn't and make, and, and make everything uniform. Because yeah. uh, unless they've got all of those like really modern sort of like dialogue in lines kind of things, and I, I want everything to like double quotes for speech, not single, and that kind of thing. So in that respect, is it a bit more fun to to basically be, um, it's almost sort of like putting together like a sweep selection for people rather than having to worry about doing the actual kind of word by word editing of something? I think so. And then collect all the kudos points. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you mentioned earlier on that you kind of had an early affinity for science fiction that had a slight comic bent to it so things like douglas adams etc now you're also known as a stand-up comedian as well so how did that spring up was that something that was always bubbling away and has that influenced your love of sort of comic science fiction or do you like any science fiction as well or oh, i don't like any science fiction as well but yeah i've always wanted to be a comedian i've always wanted to be everything i'm, I'm really sort of like i'm not focused <laughs> that's one of the I, I've got no sort of. I'm doing things on my hands here. You can't see. <laughs> I, I, I can't pick a word. Um, no concentration on any, on any single career. Um, so yeah, I, I I can remember sort of like telling my friends at university that I'd really really like to have a go at, at comedy, and then they were just really off putting and said, "Oh, don't do it. Oh, you're too nice. Oh, they'll eat you alive." And I listened to them. I listened to people like that who were protecting me for far too long. And um, it wasn't until I met my my husband, um, um, and he was. Um, an occasional driver for a comedy promoter in in Northampton uh, called Tams in Pain, who ran Purple Monkey Comedy Club, and he su- suggested that I just go for it. And he got me he got me a gig with uh, Room Twenty One in Kettering um, with Gareth Bellina, who's now a character on uh, Coronation Street, and he's been in Doctor Who. Uh, so woo, uh, that's two people in Doctor Who I know, um, <laughs> um, and Steve Day and Liam Malone and. I had the most awesome time. I may have been slightly drunk, <laughs> and I did I did 14 minutes out of a 10 minute set, but it was amazing, and um, I really got the bug, um, and it was going so so well, and until um, yeah, yeah, I started running my own nights in in, in Northampton as well, and I, I, things seemed to be progressing. I was getting paid gigs, and and then my mom got ill, and. I, I cancelled some gigs in 2011 and I never really sort of got round to sort of carrying on with the circuit for a bit. So like the next year after after my mum, I think I did three gigs. Um, so I, I then basically gave up for a bit. In fact, my last gig before I gave up was at EasterCon. <laughs> um, and um, that was with uh, John Lenehan, who was talking the toaster in Red Dwarf. <laughs> and he was really encouraging. He said, why are you giving up? You're so good. And I was like, I just have to. I just, because uh, I, I, I felt that I felt guilty. And then, uh, you know, I needed I needed to focus on, on the bread and butter side of things. Because let's face it, unless you were sort of like, doing really really well in comedy then it's it's difficult to 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 make much money out of it um 
whereas with editing I was doing considerably better so I thought I would concentrate on that for a bit and then I just missed it so I came back <laughs> and yeah I've been doing okay again um, I got to the finals of a prestigious national competition um, earlier this year uh, um, you'll laugh um, old comedian of the year <laughs> old comedian of the year you have to be over 35 and after that that's, that's after old? that you're old <laughs> Oh my goodness. Apparently so. For the record, I I'm still young, which is good. <laughs> yeah, but David Hawkeye, the organiser, used to joke, "Oh, at least, at least you stay qualified." <laughs> I, don't. I, was like, I made the finals. I can't do it again. Apparently. Oh. oh. <laughs> I'm, I, I really loved that. I really loved that little competition as well. It was at the Museum of Comedy. It's such a lovely little venue. So, because I, I hate competitions. Mm. But that one's a nice one. I recommend anyone to go for that. <laughs> and you have actually brought some of your comic skills to uh, hosting the BSFA Awards as well. I remember, like, the first time I remember it properly was probably a couple of years ago when you co-hosted with Gareth L. Powell. Was that the one in Glasgow? I, I think I was just I was just ad-libbing then, <laughs> <laughs> just covering for stuff while while while, while technical things were happening. Um, it, that was Gareth. That was Gareth's show. <laughs> I wasn't really co-hosting. I was just standing there behind the behind the screen, paying no attention to the woman behind the screen. <laughs> I did. I did co-host with Ian Watson. Um, uh, except um, we already had the script written. <laughs> I just edited it a bit, sort of like try and make it a little bit tighter. <laughs> I remember that one. I think that might have been the first EasterCon that I went to. It was such a shame because I, I asked I asked loads of people to take photos because um, um, and then I realised that um, I was wearing this sort of pink dress and standing behind a podium that basically covered me up to the level of the dress, so it looked like I was standing behind it completely naked. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I rushed upstairs and got a jacket to throw on it and it was like one of these, my, one of my bright comedy jackets and I was like really really hot <laughs> so <laughs> sweltering up there but and then I was like at least there'll be some photos of of this momentous occasion me and Ian and uh, and Ian Banks was 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 one of the sort of presenters as well and I was like and all of the pictures are really really fuzzy because nobody could get a really good angle and they took pictures of the screen behind us instead <laughs> so not because I was like oh <laughs> I still treasure like this tiny fuzzy picture of me standing next to Ian Banks. <laughs> so what kind of things do you have lined up in terms of either your own writing or editing in sort of coming months? Okay, well, I've got um, a show at Leicester Comedy Festival um, and um, it's called Kebabble and that's coming out. That's going to be, um, yeah, February the 18th at uh, the beautiful, beautiful um, Tudor Guildhall in, in Leicester as, as, as the street. It's next to the cathedral so we're in Richard III territory and um, oh, uh, um, I did my show I did my show there twice there last year but it was a different show. I did a show last year on the history of social justice called uh, The Pleasant Revolt A Pleasant Revolt <laughs> and um, yeah so like, they, they liked that so they invited me back for the City Festival in August which is as I wasn't doing uh, Edinburgh I was able to do <laughs> and so that was, that was good fun so, but my my show this year is um, is going to be about it's it's called Kebabble, so it's it's about play on my name, Donna, <laughs> Kebab, uh... Kebabble, <laughs> and 
basically about to babble is basically to have a, a sort of like nonsensical words come out just just or, or brain fart as you will <laughs> sorry language <laughs> um so and I, I thought what I'd do is I just talk about the things that just come off the top of my brain mm. and brains in general and that's quite important to me because um my dad had a, a really bad accident last year um he was working in dubai and he fell off um, a construction in a factory and um he had a traumatic brain injury so um i'm hoping to to sort of incorporate some of that into the into the show um he's doing so well now by the way he's is doing really well because considering um you know he had um such a lot of damage um and bleeding on on the brain and uh, he was over, over in Dubai, and it was really hard to try and get him back. <laughs> but we got him back. Do you find it strange, or or is it kind of in some way cathartic or useful to incorporate your own personal experiences into your stand-up? Yeah, I do think so, but I'm, get, I'm getting a little bit better at it as well. Um, it's time to come across a little bit more genuine, because um, I'm... <laughs> The stuff about my mom basically just fizzled down to one or two really throwaway jokes that nobody would really would would buy into. Um, um, so it would. I mean, um, we've just lost um, the Irish comedian Sean Hughes, and he um, they, what they call what they, what they call the kind of comedy that he did was he was an exponent of what they call the dead dad show, um, which is when you talk about something personal and really affecting. Um, and so look, take your comedy to to that level and and then bring the audience back up again um, and what I wasn't really doing that when I, I've tried to bring the personal back into it before and that's because I'm kind of shying away from it I think so like not a, bit, a little bit scared of exposing myself a little bit too much Returning to uh, your work as an editor in science fiction um, what do you see like on the horizon are there any particular new uh, new writers or um, or new books coming out that you would particularly recommend that you've got a feel for, given that you must have to read so much at the moment. Uh, at the moment, um, I've not been reading any anything um, from a major publisher um, with um, you know that's fiction. Uh, any any major fiction. It's been mostly sort of like non-fiction and also sort of like um, working with writers who just want to polish up their work before they send it off to an agent. So um, there's, there's not really an awful lot that I've seen this year that, that's come out, but um, how you talk about some of the lovely things I've worked on in the past. Um, I know when I was on The Chase, I definitely recommended Laura Lamb. And um, Rod Duncan, he's good. Um, the Bullet Catcher's Daughter. So I like working on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and what does um, uh, polishing someone's draft actually entail? Is it is it really extensive, or is it kind of as it sounds, sort of you know, going over it and sort of touching it up here and there? It really depends on the yeah. writer. And um, um, I, I've been working with Kim Lakin Smith, who you know is a you might know is a, a dear friend of mine, and uh, but she's she's been you know, really really. Um, lovely and letting me look at some of her work and um she's just awesome she's just awesome she's just such a really good writer so um she, she doesn't need very much <laughs> perhaps just some so she she's yeah just maybe a bit, bit 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 of a hint to a direction here and there but um yeah no um she's good 
We need write more things, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> so is it important actually going back to that that the that the role of the editor is always kind of unseen at the end? I mean, it must be sometimes quite interesting when you have something that needs quite a lot of work. How do you maintain the the author's voice um, in those situations if there are really heavy edits, or do you tend not to get involved in those things? Um, the, the author's voice is very important. Um, so if you're working um, with, a, with a writer who knows what they're doing, it's really easy for, for me to, to help them maintain their voice. You just look for consistency and just and make sure that the grammar is good. Um, some, some people, though, well, even, even, even the best writers can be guilty of overwriting. Um, so it's just watching those things. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a crime to, to say things like, um, I'll use an example I heard someone else said the other day, uh, an idea came into his mind um, instead of he had an idea. I have like writers who, who might do quite a lot of that um, in, their, in, their, in their work. So sometimes it's... It, you just have to say, you know all this bit, think about the overwriting, rather than, otherwise you'd be there forever, mm. just going, swap this round. <laughs> the, the subject of the sentence needs to be at the front here so that you can get it over quicker. Mm. <laughs> think about pace. <laughs> so so it, uh, sometimes I, I, I worry then sometimes if, if I'm managing to communicate everything across, so I have to do one or two examples, and I do them as a sort of like serving suggestion in the notes. <laughs> So you mentioned that your love of science fiction first began in the library. You're currently involved in a campaign to try and keep open um, library or libraries around uh... around the whole of Northamptonshire. It's um, yeah, I, I basically picked on my local, which is Kingsthorpe, um, and, and said keep this one, and done, I've done a video like like campaigning for that one, and I've took part in a demonstration last week while I was on holiday, because my staycation was, just, it was all demonstrations and activism. Um, 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 because it's a, it's a very important small library in a, in a, in a town. It's well used by playgroups and um, schools and the elderly and um, job seekers. And it, it actually serves a much wider catchment area than I think that they've considered because of the bus routes and, and villages that aren't served so well by their library. Um, but the whole situation in Northamptonshire is, is, is ridiculous. Um, we, we got told um, by, the, by the county council uh, last month that um, enormous amount of savings need to be made. And a, a, as a first wave of suggested budgetary savings, they wanted to cut 9.6 million from um, spend on social care and the statutory budget. So they're cutting libraries, bus subsidies and trading standards officers. Um, so the bus subsidies is another really, really, really uh, awful one. And the trading standards officers, I mean, we've we recently had a story about um, um, this gang who have gone around conning uh, elderly people and it was the trading standards officers and the, uh, and the fact that they are there in quantities that are able to stop that. That would get all political, you know. But the libraries, the libraries, that what they want to do, there's 36 around the county and um, you might see figures saying 21 are due to close. Well, um, 
actually up to 28 libraries could close, um, at leaving only eight across the whole of Northamptonshire. Um, now there's an option for 21 of those libraries to become run by volunteer groups. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. How would you find 21 good volunteer groups? It's, I've been to um, volunteer-run libraries. I did a gig in um, New Newbold Verdon recently, and it was lovely. It's a, it was a brand-new um, refurbished building, so it, it got a lottery granted to do the building up just before their council had said it needs to be cut. Um, and a load of volunteers had to step in and run it, but that's in a village. So it was run by um, mainly retired people and you know, they, they, it's a lovely, lovely building, but I, I could see um, looking in. There's, there's not that many books, and there's no computers, and they've they've got a lot of willing, but they haven't necessarily got all the um, skills that you require to run an efficient library service. But it's all they had, um, and I don't want to see those piecemeal sort of like. Um, kind of offerings throughout Northamptonshire, all disconnected. Um, it's crazy notion. What we, we've got is a, um, a library service at the moment, which is which is the envy of um, the UK, possibly because so many libraries around the UK have been shut and forced to be run by volunteers. But it's a really it's a really good one, and it it it, it, it is cheaper and more economical to run um, the whole library service as as a connected network so it makes no sense seeing as it's not going to save that much money in the grand scheme of things it's not not for for what they want actually want to save and the crazy thing is they have announced these cuts now and they're terrible cuts that they've announced but um to save face because when they are uh, entering into the election year they've got to announce more and they don't want it to be so scandalous that they lose um so, yeah, that's the Conservative-run council for you. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I never thought I'd, I'd, I'd get so politically um, active, but um, it's re made me really, really mad. Um, I mean, it's a lot of um, the mothers' groups as well seem to be taking up the slack and having to fight for this life. And they're, they're busy. They've got babies. So I feel, you know, duty-bound to sort of, like, do my bit because I haven't got any. I've got, I've got a cat. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> So is there anywhere that people who sort of live in the area can go to get more information about how they can get involved or, or, or how they can write to someone about this or, or who they can contact? Okay, so if people want more information, they can go to option four, that's four, as in the figure four, northhance.com. So we've been talking a lot uh, in the last couple of weeks about NaNoWriMo and how it's a great way to get 50,000 words out and it could be the start of your novel it could be the first time people have written any kind of long form piece it could be a collection of short stories even I suppose but as an editor what do you think are the most important things to consider when you're trying to get down your 50,000 words and should you actually bother thinking about editing at that point or is it something that you do at the end or or whilst you're going along when you're writing 
I would say absolutely do not think about editing when you're writing your 50,000 words. Um, write 50,000 words of crap um, if you have to. Uh, just be motivated and encouraged by the fact that you've managed to write those words and um, you can always add better words later. Um, <laughs> that's basically it. Um, and be encouraged. I mean, I think, um, what was it? The, the Night Circus, that was a NaNoWriMo novel, wasn't it? So, you know, people could do it. If you overanalyze that book, I think you can you can tell because it's you can see these wonderful sections where she where she's she's written I fantastic bits and really got into scenes. So I think it it, it does work in you know, that she's like got this wonderful scene and she's imagined it and she's been able to sort of get that down as her word count for the day probably and then been able to put some of them together and she's she's made it an overall arcing narrative to fit them in. But yeah. So just 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 write <laughs> and deal with the consequences later. Yeah, <laughs> editing is for the first of December. <laughs> it's like if I it's like if I could just edit it, why just say or do, take out three of them? Just just write. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'd like to thank you, Donna, for joining us for our episode today. Um, Thanks for telling us about all the great things that you have done and that you're going to be doing in the future and telling us especially about all your uh, work trying to keep libraries open in Northampton as well, which is actually it's one of those things which is it's interesting to have it from that perspective, but it's happening everywhere. These things are, you know, are, are very much under threat and they're always one of those things which are the first things to be easily discarded. So it's a really important cause. And thank you for telling us about that as well. No, no thank, thank you for letting me share that. <laughs> It's very important to me. Yeah, so thanks again, Donna, for joining us. It's been great speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bex and Ethan. Once again, we'd like to thank Donna for joining us for our episode of Time for Cakes and Ale. We've got a few more episodes planned in this series over the next couple of weeks. We'll also be returning to Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee and also the Tally Ho as well in the coming days and weeks. So follow us for more info on that. In the meantime, please do get in touch. Let us know what you think about our episodes. Yeah, if you want to get the heads up on when new episodes are out, you can follow us on Twitter at TFCAA or we've got a Facebook page, Time for Cakes Nail, and the website is timeforcakesnail.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, all the usual places. And if you're feeling generous, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. But, but for now, until episode 22, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.